0: Hello and welcome to The Back Half with me, Tom. And me, Kate. We're back from our extended summer break. Our sabbaticals. Our ten weeks on lilos.
1: I was in a treehouse.
0: Mm, were you? In What were you doing in the treehouse?
1: So it was a treehouse that was built by a, an architect. who'd um, obviously wanted to do it since he was a child. And his wife had allowed him to, to build this treehouse in the garden as long as he put it on Airbnb. So it's quite new and it's in Austria. Um, and it's giant. It's like four pine trees that he's adapted into a treehouse with all the mod cons, like DVD players and toilets.
0: So does it sit in between four trees?
1: Yes, it's balanced on four trees, but it's got like two bedrooms, two sun decks, and then loads of hammocks underneath it. And a big nest of hornets,
0: in the house, in, in the, the trees. trees,
1: but they don't bother you because right. they're kind of happy because they've got tree to go in. So actually, you're kind of very close to what could sting you, but it doesn't come in. It's really great.
0: What about you? I was mainly driving around the west of Ireland, listening to songs from Trolls the movie <laughs> with my kids, which was fun. What are the songs well, of Trolls the movie? Trolls the movie? You are like. kidding? Yeah, I don't know. It. Funnily enough, Ariana Grande's on there. <gasps> which song? <laughs> which we we're going to talk about later. I, I, I it's just annoyed. Sure. It's just, it's just. Trolls music. Who else is on there? Justin Timberlake's on there. Mm -hmm. They do this thing. I don't know whether this is, I guess this is a thing with kids' movies. And I suppose I'm aware of it from Shrek and things like that. Like, do you remember at the end of Shrek, they do the monkeys, I'm a believer. Mm. So it's kind of covers, sort of odd covers of of things done with the voice of Poppy, the troll. Mm. Yeah. Classic. Tunes sung by trolls Class- Classic tunes sung by trolls, yeah
1: <laughs> But yes, we are we are returning to uh, Ariana Grande later in our programme And we're also going to be talking about ITV's great, now in its third season, detective series Unforgotten
0: And we'll have a non anniversary
1: Going back a few years, something important that happened that we thought was interesting From and
0: our past From
1: our past
0: uh, Let's push on So, Kate, you uh, turned me on to Unforgotten, which uh, has just finished its third season on ITV. Tell me, tell me a bit about it. Tell me what what what's the setup? Mm. What's the um, premise? So,
1: it? what makes it distinctive is that it's about historical murder cases. Right. It's a woman cop and a man cop, uh, Nicola Walker and Sanjeev Baskar. That's fairly standard, right? That's standard. Who investigate a skeleton. So every season starts with a skeleton being unearthed somewhere. And within the first 15 to 20 minutes, we're told by a great forensic woman in a kind of like very forensic outfit, maybe with a bit of high vis or whatever. She's like dusting down some bones and everyone's standing around it going, oh, it could be Roman. There's an old Roman site there. And she goes, aha, no, you'll see here that there is a fracture that's been mended with a particular kind of metal that came in in 1977. So I would date this skeleton to uh, whatever. You'll
0: see here that they're holding a packet of fags. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) You'll see here that they have an Oasis CD in their back pocket. I think this is from 1995. And um, that's all you need. And uh, then we begin to investigate the identity of the skeleton, which we then find out fairly quickly. But the amazing thing about this show is that it very quickly uncovers a kind of lattice work of people working in all sorts of uh, different walks of life, areas of their careers, ages, middle-aged and elderly people who are somehow all connected to this skeleton that's been found. And then we spend five or six hours unpicking this, this increasingly large web to reveal how on earth the person died. And you can't, I mean, it's very, very hard to predict the storylines, I think. I I watched it from the first season, um, when Tom Courtney was the standout. There's usually one standout actor in it. And it's very difficult to remember who actually did the murder when you look back a couple of years after seeing the seasons. And uh, yeah, he got BAFTA for for that award. And in the latest season, it's kind of Alex Jennings is one of the standout actors, but
0: Pretty good. What do you think? Well, I've only seen the third season, but um, I loved it. I wanted to ask you, though, it's a minor question, but is the Skellington Skellington. always discovered by accident or are they ever looking for
1: No, it's it's always by accident. It's always by accident. And I don't know whether... I mean, I should should know this, really, being interested in this programme, but I don't know whether there are departments that are dedicated solely to looking into historic cases or whether they are generally detectives who are also looking at...
0: That's the that, current. That's ones. one. Of, I mean, it's slightly jumping ahead, but that's one of the less, con- possibly less convincing things. But we need. We need to check. Yeah. We need. We need an expert to write in and tell us, really. Because by the sound um, of it, these two guys have been so on. So we don't have to do any research. Um, but <laughs> they've got a whole team, haven't they? And they're 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 just working on this one mm. cold case. Yeah. So you kind of feel in in austerity Britain that <laughs> that might not be. Um, okay admittedly i certainly this one is a, is an important is an important case because it was uh it was a case that was very well well publicized because uh, it's a missing girl mm. um but still, you kind of feel that it's sort of half a dozen people in an office all yes. kind of working. It's one of the beauties on, of one. the the
1: dramatic representation yeah. of the.
0: They're the, not having to like follow up on other <laughs> other things or do admin in between.
1: And also, there is um, there are the the cliches of uh, them being sort of almost overly involved in the family of the of the, what turns out to be a missing girl who went missing eighteen years ago. Um, so yeah, in terms of their emotional connections to these cases, they wouldn't be really supportable, and they wouldn't hmm. they wouldn't be able to kind of get. Any Work done if they were this involved, but just in brief, it's a story of um, an eighteen-year-old, eighteen-year-old um, uh, case of a teenage girl who um, went missing around New Year at the Millennium. So it's quite an evocative. You know, we all know where we were at the Millennium, and we were all having either brilliant times or crap times. And the at the centre of the um, investigation are four middle-aged men who have been friends since school. And um, I found this a very a first in terms of you know you we're trained now to look out for the idea of you know character diversity multicultural Britain and everything and it's I thought white dudes. I just thought oh my god it's just poor white guys like is this what we're gonna get and then the beauty of it to me was that these were the great white males in decline you yeah, know this yeah, just the yeah, kind of um, our, our Grace and Perry guest edit the idea of this this suffering uh, mm. race of of. Um, powerful men who are losing their grips on power in middle mm. age. They they have astonishingly bad mental health. Mm. <laughs> they they live um, in systems of lies that they have convinced themselves are true. There's yeah. a, a great um, uh, Peter Carr is one of the characters played by Neil Morrissey, and. Um, all these men come under suspicion for this murder because they were all in the same holiday cottage at the same time. So it's a great idea. And at one point, Peter Carr's wife says to him, you know, um, I I genuinely think that if you had committed this murder, you would be able to convince yourself that you hadn't. And this sense of people who've been living in... Yeah, Yeah. self-belief um insecurity and living within fictions of their own making mm. for for 20 years or so and i think it's like that's sort of what it was looking at and then the peripheral satellite characters are actually um i mean there weren't any sort of bad women or non-white characters in it were there? they were all the kind of the ones who were who had the moral high uh ground. high yeah. ground on the outside <clears throat> and then you had these guys in the middle who were just who had just completely fucked up their lives mm. and it was all falling apart
0: it is a it's a great quartet i mean it's a it's a it's a brilliant cast. Um, Nicola Walker and, and Sanjeev Bhaskar are, are terrific, I think. Um, and the four, the four you mentioned: um, Neil Morrissey as Peter Carr, um, Alex Jennings uh, plays a doctor, Tim Finch, um, James Fleet, who's the bumbling guy from Four Weddings and a Funeral, and Vicar of Dibley. He's in as well. Um, plays uh, Chris Lowe, who's this kind of who's who's the one whose life has sort of unraveled perhaps most obviously mm. he's living in a he's living in a camper van and, and painting um and keeps all this sort of cash in a in a in a metal box and i'm missing one aren't i oh james th- there's a character james hollis who's a sort of um john humphreys mm. type character isn't he um he's a he's a sort of media celebrity he hosts a quiz show but in a very sort of serious john humphreys way yeah um and that's um, Kevin McNally, who seemed familiar to me, but I, co- I couldn't tell you uh, what was done. I thought they, done.
1: they just looked the, the part mm, so well. Totally, didn't they? they're yeah. Casting. The other thing about it, I think, is an extremely understated um, programme in some ways. And you can see the the acting that you get from Nicola Walker and Sanji Basco also carries into, um, I thought, in the character of Alex Jennings, who plays the, the doctor, Tim Finch, was that they're almost slightly embarrassed by... Being on screen in the best possible way, it feels a very sort of British understated sort of um, presentation they do. So Nicola Walker will get these lines, which you would get in any American um, sort of detective show, like let's find this killer and give the family the peace that they deserve and stuff like that. But she says everything, like looking down into her cardigan, yeah. <laughs> um, almost smiling, yeah. like she's embarrassed by yeah. everything, mumbling. Yeah. And Sanji Bhaskar has a kind of a backstory that's been going through all the seasons where he's sort of at some point was very attracted to her romantically. They're, both their kind of home lives were slightly on shaky ground and now he's got a lot of affection for her. But he's sort of almost embarrassed by that cliche mm. as well. Like he's, It's like Sarge this Sludge that and he does care for her but it's sort of like oh god it's a bit cringy and then in in, um, the Alex Jennings character who is uh, he's like the masterpiece of this of this program really he plays the 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 sort of village doctor whose ability to show uh, compassion to his patients and to listen to them is also done in an incredibly understated way Mm. what did you think of his like was he effective for you as a as a doctor like did you believe him
0: yeah i mean the the character development um for all four is very good in that you're you know in a in a very classic way you're kind of presented with what seems a fully formed character and then um as the episodes go on that they're, they're all sort of unpicked and unraveled so he the, the jennings character you learn that there's a sort of um malpractice case against him but the woman is totally the woman making the case is totally discredited he's such an upstanding member of the community he seems very sort of you see him in all sorts of um situations having very genuine kind you know going the extra mile for his patients and his friends and then there's a there's a great scene where um he just sends back a bottle uh of wine in a restaurant because it's corked oh yeah uh, and um it's just a brilliant um uh, it's a brilliant insight into what could be you know another side to an, an, another side to its character it's corked you don't need to check i've told you yeah. it's corked that was so that that was one of um watching this uh with my wife claire over the last few few uh days um it's corked became one of the, one of the <laughs> sort of catchphrases <laughs> one
1: of the most pasag uh, things you can uh, say to uh, each other. the
0: other the others being um great work fran <laughs> There's a, one of the sort of uh dcs on the case is this woman fran who just who just sort of disappears for a few hours and then comes back with a, <laughs> an amazing thing she's worked out so uh i like one spin-off series i think is uh you know the adventures of the adventures of fran the adventures of fran um but no i thought jennings i thought jennings was brilliant and and just to go back to what you're saying about nicola walker who is very distinctive uh has a very distinctive style mm. anyway um
1: very odd style i think
0: yeah i mean she she is a, she is brilliant i'm um what else have we seen her in um uh she's done a lot of stage work she's in last tango in halifax Th- it's this this amazing sort of half broken smile that mm. she has which is totally unique to her i think and i think she she does it very effectively um when we we're watching those scenes that you're just talking about where she's she's kind of um uh, summing things up to her team, or giving them instructions. Um, again, Claire, who, who's a teacher, is like, she's really bad at presenting. You know, she, can't, <laughs> she, she can't stand up in front of a, a group of people and... and uh, uh, again, I, I just kept wanting her to say "Let's roll" or I know, something like exactly. that. Um, and there's
1: this great subplot going on with um, very strange relationship with her dad. So yes. again, we've got the cliche of the detective who's got the crap home life. Yeah, and, you know, she can't get a relationship going. And she's sitting drinking a glass of red wine every night, and isn't. And Rachel Cook, our TV critic, gets like continually not. I was going to mention this. Rachel
0: actually because uh, Rachel's thing is, why can't they just be doing a really good job? And sort of be yes, stable and specifically happy with that. women yeah. policemen and women yeah. detectives. They yeah. always
1: see, and so he does fall into the writer does fall into that yeah. cliche with this. But the the interesting twist on it is that she lives with her father, yeah. who um she convinces herself is getting Alzheimer's um, because she's actually jealous that he's got a new girlfriend. And whenever she's with him, the dynamic is teenage girl and dad. And it's just amazingly done. Like as soon as she goes back into that door, she's a sulky can't look him in the eye, rejecting him when he tries to give her a cuddle and all that kind of thing. Um, I was just thinking about uh, Jennings as well, and the the sort of sense that I also got with him in the sort of soft-spoken, almost non-acting that he does, and yeah. full of pauses and the way he sort of looks down his chest when he talks as well. And I don't know how he researched this, but there are two scenes where you see his kindness his sort of uh, what we then discover is a kind of learned kindness one of which when he goes to a patient who's lost his elderly wife Mm. and the other one when he goes to visit uh, his, his school friend who's now living in a camper van and I was just thinking like what he's what he's doing with them that he's sort of fully engaged with them he's very reassuring very unpressurizing he tells them that what they're feeling is completely natural he gives them a few options and offers to help he reassures them that he's there um, and then he they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. And so you get these like little vignettes of like, this is, wow, this is one of the most amazing supportive characters in this, mm. in this show. And then obviously we, as it, we're not going to give any spoilers, but mm. the, the fronts that these guys are putting on are kind of dropped as it, as it progresses.
0: It's, it is well written, isn't it? Chris Lang is the writer and, um, it's just very unshowy in the, Mm. in the writing. Um, and, and in the filming style, actually, I was thinking about, um, other things like, um, uh, collateral, the David Hare, um, uh, recent sort of crime, crime drama, which was all very kind of gritty and stylish in, in the, in the filming, or even, you know, you don't, you have none of that here. You have none of the sort of epic landscape shots of, um oh you have a little bit of that, um, but not much of that kind of epic landscape shots of Happy Valley. It's just very straightforward um storytelling, unfussy, um, but well done. And I think um in some ways even um done more effectively than things like um Jack Thorne's Kiri, mm. which which we we both liked, I think. Mm. Some people were, were uh, were very critical of that but that was very
1: stylized it was, in its and, style
0: and I it over, it kind of stepped into staginess didn't it mm. um and there are there are a few stagy moments in this but um one thing it shares with that and i wanted to see what you thought of this is how well do you think it um you know they've they've definitely tried to um put in some social issues mm. uh, into this um
1: i thought they were quite clunky um there's a terrible character uh who's a a sort of sensationist blogger
0: Mm.
1: who is a quite key part of the plot because she um gets online every two minutes and writes horrible uh things about a guy who's under suspicion but hasn't actually done anything and then this results in a terrible outcome Mm. and it's sort of it's it's effective at first when you see that they're covering the old um nasty blogging journalism side of what we're living in at the moment but when she's hauled into a police station and she breaks down and goes I only wanted a paid job. I've got a job, a, a, degree, a degree in, in journalism, journalism yeah. and I've never earned a penny for my work. <laughs> You're like, okay, did you really have to shoehorn like that in as well? And then also, um, the TV host, I can't remember his name, the... Um, our John Humphreys type character.
0: James James Hollis. James yeah. Hollis.
1: He has a son who has been affected by this, this historical crime and is, I think, using heroin or whatever. But he's also experimenting with lipstick and being kind of trans at the same time. And there's a kind of strange, undeliberate, connection there made between the idea of somebody who's kind of going off the rails and doesn't know who they are and might also be experimenting with that side of their life. And I just thought that was a little bit heavy handed.
0: I thought also that's quite, you know, far be it from us to, to judge, but that's that's a bit un-PC. Exactly. You know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, the, the trans community might, might you know, yeah. get a bit Oh, he doesn't,
1: that. Elliot doesn't know who he is. That's yeah. why he's yeah. wearing lipstick. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then you've got um, you've got a bit of a flick of me too as well because James Hollis's ex-wife sort of goes on the radio and, and talks about kind of um, oh yeah destructive relationships. She's like and, on Woman's uh, Hour yeah, or something, yeah, like uh, and kind of lack of consent in in sexual relationships and things. Um, yeah, I thought I mean particularly the blogger, um, but it was that was all a bit shoehorned in. Um, funny the um just thinking about jack Thorne's work um the the sort of john humphreys type character did make me think a bit about um national treasure and how good that mm, was mm. um robbie coltrane playing this uh, tv
1: comedian yeah
0: some of that same you know weird self-assurance and kind of yeah you, you know you then don't know okay are these guys just really self-confident and um Everyone's always said yes to them, and they're powerful and a bit egotistical. But that's it. Mm. Or are they also willing to kind of abuse that power to the yes. extent that is actually really? And disturbing? to what
1: extent do they believe their own fictions that they've told themselves about their their careers and their lives and their mm. own sort of innocence? And yeah, I think National Treasure did it, does it even better? Like you, you know, you don't, you're left really not knowing what the story is at the end of that. Yeah. Whereas this, it has to, it has to resolve yes. who did this crime. Yeah, um, but. It, I, I did think it was a nice muted ending in a sense because the person that we discover is responsible. We actually discover five hours in and there's a whole other hour yeah. afterwards. Not in some kind of like um, complicated court case situation mm. of finding out why he did it, but just of not just letting it unfold yeah. and letting you sit with him for a while mm. and kind of appreciate something that actually wasn't that much of a surprise to you narratively (laughs) because you kind of knew it in the beginning
0: yeah yeah no that was that was really nicely done just on a on a side note on the on the Jack Thorne stuff I I spotted that um he's making a I didn't realize but National Treasure and Kiri are part of a loose trilogy and he's making a third one but I think National Treasury was so much better than Kiri. and and it seems like now the emphasis is on going to be on sort of issues. So yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. How well p-
1: they're there. talking about a fourth season as well. But I hope it doesn't go too issue based and too sort of um it did go a bit american in the last in the last uh episode i thought
0: with the sort of lot of swelling music aerial and, uh, shots yeah. and,
1: and and them going to deliver flowers to the the grave of the murdered girl like that's that invested in each case I and mean, she would have had meltdown years ago if she was <laughs> visiting the family of every case that yeah. she that she'd worked on um the writer is chris lang yeah. who was the drummer in the house Martins. oh yes yeah in the 1980s um in a similar era to when norman cook was the bass player in the house Martins, which i did not know
0: do you think they're still in touch? Do you think they l- like the four members of uh, the four suspects yes. in this meet-up for regular dinners? Yes,
1: love your mates. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, they go to like, they'll book something on, you know, one of those restaurant apps and turn up
0: and catch up
1: every now and again. But I was obviously... thinking about this
0: because I meet up with my male friends <laughs> yeah, from school <laughs> every so often for dinner. And um, you until the very end, actually, and I won't say what happens because we're, we're trying to avoid spoilers in this, but... you. They're, they're sort of they're constantly trying to arrange to catch up and then they never do until sort of I think it's the last of the penultimate episode and it's fairly bleak but uh, yeah hopefully, I think the, hopefully none um, of them are going to end up uh, well
1: maybe maybe the House Martins was a great springboard for um future careers the way you know your yeah was.
0: what are the others doing yeah well they Heaton. need to pull their socks oh, up so i don't yeah.
1: know who the other ones were apparently it was a revolving door of, of musicians right. a bit like the fall i wonder mm. why that was
0: <laughs> so unforgotten uh all three series i think you can watch them on itv player or amazon yeah a combination you can of watch the them in one go yeah
1: I don't remember anything about the second season really? at all. Is that the week one, one? Well, I don't know.
0: Okay. Maybe I was wrong. Sounds just, like it, sounds like it might be. So maybe one one and three.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass
0: horrible um, bombing in Manchester last year May, May 2017 I was completely unaware of Ariana Grande um, despite the fact that she was already a massive global pop sensation mm. um, you did know about her.
1: I did a bit, I was kind of curious, um, she is uh, 25 now so when the bombing happened she was 23 um, she is from Italian, uh, New York background um, her mother, um, I like this kind of information, her mother uh, was chief executive for a firm that does uh, telecommunications for shipping. Um, and they moved down to Florida to a place called, I read it as Boca Raton, which is the suburbs of Miami, but it's probably pronounced Boca Raton or Boca something Raton. like that. Um, and she sort of did community a school theater in Fort Lauderdale and that kind of area. So she's a very Florida girl. Um, And she got into, I think she was performing on cruise ships by the time she was eight years old. It is the world of cruise ships down there. And um, she did um, Nickelodeon shows. So she became a child star. But she was always more interested in music because she had kind of musical theatre ability to imitate different, um, different kinds of voices. And if you've ever YouTubed her... You can see her doing Judy Garland in jazz clubs. And you can also see this very famous clip on the Jimmy Fallon show where they have a a song generator where they spin a kind of little funny wheel and it comes up with a um, sing in the style of, and then you do the song. So the famous one with her was that she did the wheels on the bus in the style of Christina Aguilera, (laughs) which she did pretty effortlessly. And yeah, so she obviously entered the consciousness in a very, uh, of the kind of like a lot of people in a very horrific way last May and this is her first album since then so this is her album called Sweetener
0: and I read that it has shattered the Spotify record for the most streamed album by a female artist in its first
1: week wow really yeah
0: I don't know how many is it her sort of fourth or third or fourth fourth record maybe something like that Um, (laughs) and she's she seems to have kind of trodden a sort of fairly well fairly well charted path in terms of like kind of quite cutesy bubblegummy and then through to I think her last record was all I'm a woman Mm. you know a bit risque bit of alter egos and bunny Um, ears and negligees and things like that and now and now she's sort of doing something for herself she's done more writing on this record than on her previous ones Mm. And um yeah, it's it's I really enjoyed it. It's um it's it's an odd record. It's not um I mean you read a review that said said something about it having a lot of bangers. <laughs> it's banger free. It, it, it doesn't seem to have a lot of bangers at all. Um I mean it's got some good pop songs on it, but it's quite it's quite um understated in its yeah. bangerness. And I she mean, there's no there's not loads of um I think when she first came out there was uh you know, she was her vocals were compared a lot to Mariah Carey and that mm. kind of style. And um, that seems to have more or less gone. So there's not lots of double-tracked, soaring soaring vocals. Um,
1: I think the voice is really unusual, and I didn't really know how good her voice was until the One Love concert in Manchester that was right. obviously very quickly organised after the bombing. Um, she's got a sort of m- very soft, mellifluous, kind of bubbly Fizzy voice mm. that kind of dances around the music, and when she was on stage in Manchester, it was it was just a masterpiece of restraint. Really, mm. you know, she's she's standing there in this uh, famously now in this kind of white sweatshirt with her hair back, and it was almost like she was supporting everybody on the stage. She was kind of there working in the background, even though she might have been doing the lead vocal on one of the songs, and her voice kind of like bubbled and floated over the music and there was none of the chest beating that mm. the entire generation of people who are into her being raised on there's there isn't that hardness that you get with mariah carey's kind of melismas and that kind of thing or in the that more sort of um i don't know post um x factor and um america's got talent kind of Lung busting sort of singing. It's not like that at all. And I think that the way these songs are constructed, like, yeah, they are quite sort of, it is quite banger free. They don't have big choruses and things. A lot of them were co written with Pharrell Williams. And it's not a particularly accessible record in a funny way. Not kind of on the way. first
0: listen, no. No, which is yeah. weird to
1: think that a lot of the people listening to this are 10 years old. Mm. And so without them even asking to be, they're being introduced to some quite complex song structures and complex production. And they're just like, yeah, we love Ariana, so we're just going to do this. Which is great.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's one track on there particularly, which is produced by Thoreau Williams. Um, And if I was prepared, I'd tell you what it was called. Something like The Light Is Coming. Um, And it's a kind of really stripped back, like hip hop structure. It's uh, Nicki Minaj has the guest slot, but the guest slot comes like right at the beginning. There's a sample which I looked up is um a constituent shouting at some senator in two thousand nine oh, yeah. <laughs> um so it's, and, and then Ariana's sort of chorus is sort of semi spoken as well um and yeah, it's, it's a kind of it, it's a, it would you would have thought it would be a bit of a curveball to the ten mm. year old listener but I suppose it's of a piece with the way in which that kind of I guess it's the, it is kind of the more indie side of hip hop and R&B, the sort of Frank Ocean yeah. type stuff is leaching into, um, into mainstream pop. Yeah, there's quite I saw a lot of from, Drake on it yeah. as well, I think. Yes, yeah. And I saw, you know, Tyler, the crea- creator from Odd Futures, um, tweeting like, this is my favourite song right now. It wasn't that one, but it was another one on the mm. And, you know, I mean, I don't know how these how these worlds overlap, but... He's someone. I mean, certainly when they came out, you'd associate him with quite extreme, mm. like anti-mainstream, quite shocking. Um, so it's kind of interesting yeah. that that those those are blurring together. Now.
1: When I interviewed Jack White last year, and he was saying that the by far and away the most interesting production these days is being done in hip hop, and that that's where you get the the real use of space yes. and of impressionistic kind of. Um, effects really and that also ties in with the the fashion for the visual album so when mm. these things are kind of i don't know if it's true in her case but when these things in Beyonce's case are conceived as being like films then you do have sort of scene changes mm. within the films which the music then has to kind of back up so it's almost like going going backwards or something I, the other thing i thought was interesting about it i don't know how long these discussions must have been for what she was going to do with her new record but i imagine an awful lot of thought went into how much she's going to acknowledge Mm. The traumatic events had not. But it's quite a bold positive thing to for your first single after that to be called No Tears Left to Cry. Mm. Because if you just saw that title, you might think it was going to be a kind of rousing sort of stadium stomper, like, hey, we're all in it together. But there's something about it which is kind of able to, it feels like the album's moving on a bit from mm. from what happens. Even the fact that the it's called Sweetener and it's and then there's the the, the last uh, track on it is called get well soon mm. which is full of these kind of creamy harmonies and has this sort of Janet Jackson meets Drake sort of feel um but yeah there isn't any sort of sort of real uh getting into the nitty gritty of what of what happened mm-hmm. no Tears ties to cry was i think written co-written with um max martin and that's the one that has the closest melodic structure to um uh the big hit that she had that was released after Manchester. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of the minor key, mm. the sad song. Mm. But it's still quite a bold title, I think.
0: Yeah, and to to allow that stuff to kind of inform the writing of it without sort of hitting it on the nose is 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 a kind of more creatively smart and interesting way to approach it, I think, mm. probably. She's funny, like, I was looking her up on, on Twitter. It, it's still, you know, OK, this is more sort of, alternative and interesting but it's still kind of she just tweets things like you're such a dream to me yeah that's like thirty five yeah, thousand exactly. retweets and like <laughs> I, think I love you
1: i was asking around like retweets. why you know what do her fan base you know the people who are driving her to yeah. become one of the biggest pop stars on the planet what what are they really interested in because some of them are so young it really is about the journey and her accessibility and her relatability as people mm. like to say so there is just a very human um sort of pop princess side to it but she does seem to be able to do some quite unusual quirky offbeat things as well I mean there's a song and she's got this new boyfriend called Pete Davidson who's a comedian and there's a song called Pete Davidson on the album
0: they're engaged you know
1: (laughs) who who does that that who does that (laughs) and it's really short. Yeah. It's like a joke. It's it's like, but it's wonderfully confident. It's like getting a tattoo of someone's name on your arm. Yeah. It? It's like. It's most like Pete
0: Davidson. Talking of which, Pete Davidson, who I googled the other day, has a tattoo of Hillary Clinton. <gasps> or is it just the word Hillary Clinton? Oh, and she's
1: massively Hillary uh, as well. Um, like Ariana is.
0: Um, and um, when Hillary Clinton found out about this, she 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 quipped, um, "Well, that's that makes things less awkward because I've had a Pete Davidson tattoo." From this. <laughs> Um, Yeah, there are some jokes in here and and I just watched the video for God is a Woman, which is full of really, you know, over the top um, imagery of her sort of dancing in candle flames and (laughs) um, lolling about naked in in huge vats of paint. And then um, randomly about halfway through, it just cuts to a scene of a desert um, with little craters in it. And then these kind of Jim Henson type gopher puppets pop up out of the cra- craters. One of them emits this sort of high pitched gopher scream, and then they pop down again and disappears. It's never referred to again. Has absolutely nothing to do with any other part of the video. So you know she's 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 clearly having fun. There's
1: also a bit in that video where she's wearing like a a, um, a skin suit. Um, like a kind of beige skin suit to match her skin, but it's kind of got wrinkles in it. Yeah. So it's like Nora Batty's tights. Yes. <laughs> and she's like trying to look sexy, but you can see these big wrinkles down the
0: legs. I didn't spot that. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah. I don't know
1: what's. I don't know what her. Yeah, we were having a debate the other day about what category she fits into, A list or B list, in terms of the the big pop divas of the world. Right. And it, there was a big kind of division around the table. <laughs> this is what we talk about, as to where she. You know, she. People were saying there's no way she's in the Taylor Swift and and right. Beyonce camp, <clears throat> and I was saying she totally is because she because of what happened with Manchester. She's way up there in the clouds. Like she, the way she handled that was so perfect that she's kind of completely faultless. You know, so. Well, you
0: refer to her as the queen. The queen of, of heaven. Of heaven. Don't you? I like to
1: call her the queen of heaven. Um, <laughs> So, in terms of yeah that that lift to take her onto that level where yeah. she she may never have to do an interview again, then I kind of think she is up there, yeah, and my friends were saying no, because no one really knows what her music's about. She hasn't had that many hits, and mm. she's she appeals predominantly to children, so she's sort of in that funny transitional state at the moment
0: there was I don't know if you spotted this, but when she first started out, there was a sort of meme joke internet meme type thing saying is Ariana Grande actually an adult baby? Yeah. Um, but I think she's she's definitely got over that. Now. And
1: the big T-shirt came out last year that was uh, quite popular, which was, uh, I thought Ariana Grande was a font. Really? Yeah. That, that was name? the indie, that was the hipster right. joke about her name.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, Sweetener, Ariana Grande's fourth album is out now. And if you stream it on Spotify, you'll... Only just, add to its. Billion...
1: Just listen to the title track because that's the best. <laughs> that's the end
0: of my review. Sweetener.
1: Just listen to Sweetener.
0: Okay, there you go. Job done. It's a special moment today because we are here uh, to celebrate the non-anniversary of the Fugitive, which came out in August 1993. August the sixth, nineteen ninety-three, which makes it twenty-five. Uh, twenty-five years old. Yeah. That is an actual got round it right. number for for once. Yeah. Well, not a round number, but a, a, a neat number.
1: Twenty-five, um, rather than fifteen. Yeah, which is what I would usually do. Yeah, I miss or the nineties. Like,
0: yeah. Mm. Such a blur, man. <laughs> if, you were, if, you, <laughs> <laughs> if you remember, it, it didn't happen. We
1: both had very strong reactions to this film at the time, didn't we?
0: Yes, I nearly fainted. Uh, so I would have been uh, just 12, just turned 12 a mm. month before. I went to see it. I don't know whether... It, I was trying to look up whether it was a... a tw- it must have been a well, 12 we certificate, Well, we all went to see it.
1: We were 12, weren't we? Like. Um,
0: uh, so it must have been a 12 certificate. It's based on this 60s TV series, which I've never seen. Me too. <laughs> have, have <you> ever seen <laughs> which it? I'm sure everyone yeah. says
1: but is the good yeah, one, I so I don't watch think. this. But
0: yeah. um, And it's Harrison Ford... Um, who uh, who is is blamed for the murder of his wife and then goes on the run, but it you see the the, the murder of his wife mm. is shot in this incredibly intense um style and with a lot of blood mm. and I'm quite squeamish, and um somehow I just found this totally it just knocked me for six I yeah kind of, I, and I did eventually recover and managed to sit through. rest of the film but it's a weirdly intense experience you you found that as well i found
1: it in a in a different it was the first film i'd ever seen which was it felt like a grown-up film yeah i was taken to the cinema by my mum and dad with my brother to see it and i it sounds really naff to say this but i literally felt suddenly introduced to the fact that there was this amazing thing called cinema where you saw things happen that affected you. It wasn't like watching children's films or it wasn't like watching my Indiana Jones. Cause I loved him. Like he was my, he was one of my people as a, as a, as a child, but it was the, I think the sense of injustice in it and the an incredible moment at the end in the laundry room, this protracted scene in the laundry room where he's uh, Harrison Ford is still trying to hide from Tommy Lee Jones and Jones won't give up the fight to get him, but of course he's realised that he's innocent through his own... Uh, just He's just realised that during mm. the course of the investigation. And it was just one line. He just goes, Richard, I know you're innocent, and I thought I was going to have a heart attack <laughs> because of the relief of the idea That and he's shouting it out over this laundry room and there's this kind of this strange... I don't know, the settings of it were so... so um, there's such unity about it there's the amazing scene with the dam at the beginning yeah. he jumps off that there's the, the 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 bus where he's got his orange kind of um condemned suit and he's chained up to all these guys and then he kind of flies off the there's
0: way. a tunnel isn't there like an underground, underground tunnel, as tunnel. Well, like a culvert yeah. yeah
1: the one-armed man the man with yeah. the um that was very chilling as well this guy who's kind of in a way, got quite a, a kind face, but he's got this very, very spooky prosthetic arm. And then, obviously, as you say, the flashbacks to the to the murder of the wife. Was yeah. just so horrible because I think she'd scattered rose petals up the up the stairs because she was going to have a romantic evening right. with him when yes. he got home, yeah. and, he and he comes back and he finds her like covered in blood and yeah. and dying, not dead. Oh, that was it's the so worst traumatic. thing. She was still alive. <laughs> God, it's so traumatic. And do you remember the scene with the um, with the subway where he? realises that the one-armed guy has seen him mm. and, like, he tries to escape by walking up the subway and getting through all the...
0: I don't know. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it's weirdly... For me, it's the... And I only realise this when I think about it. I think subconsciously it's the template for a lot of... When I watch these kind of Netflix true crime, that you know, things now, mm. um, this is sort of the, the template for it. The yeah. Kind of the the wrong the wrongfully imprisoned... Oh, you know, gosh. The wrongfully... Um, um yeah
1: and of course he's a doctor so do you remember the yes. amazing scene where he goes into the hospital and mm. um treats himself <laughs> what a hero mm. he dresses up in some scrubs that he's nicked off someone he goes in stitches himself up look his, looks for his own medical records and then like goes out and makes some
0: i wonder if someone's oh. written an essay or compiled a youtube compilation of self surgery in because it it is a trope it happens in um so i was thinking about no country for old men because Mm. of course the other great you know it's tommy lee jones is the is the great cop character in the fugitive and also in no country for Men. although in that one he plays kind of much more benevolent you know older older man but um the villain in no country for men um there's an amazing scene in which he kind of sews up his own sews up his own art. Yeah. I'd forgotten that Harrison Ford does that so brilliantly in the future. Too. Yeah. Does it stand up? Have you it? Yeah, it really it? does.
1: I've seen it like three or four times since since the early 90s. And
0: probably better than those cuz I loved all I mean, I love Harrison Ford too. I, I, I like I, I like everything he does. I just mm. uh, yeah. and this came in the middle of a run of 90s films which I actually loved at the time and I sort of haven't rewatched them because I suspect they're probably not very good. Mm. The other ones being Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. Um
1: I think it's free from the things that might date it sort of maybe yeah. politically yeah. um in terms of I just think it's kind of quite quite simple yes. so it's it doesn't got it doesn't have clunky like racist bits in it that we'd kind of think now, oh my god what are they doing And it's there? not or, kind
0: of Tying in with a big sort of military-industrial complex. No, or, no. You know, it's just, it's, it's such a kind of it's narrow. focused story, yeah.
1: And it was like, I did sort of introduce, it was the first introduction to me to kind of serious cinema because within the same year, I then saw Philadelphia and Schindler's List. And I had to be carried down the steps after <laughs> Philadelphia because I was so upset by that. It's like, you know, God, how are these things 12s? I know Schindler's List was a 15, but I swear Philadelphia was twelve.
0: Yeah, you might be right. So <laughs>
1: and now, of course, everything's 15. and There are very few 18s, so...
0: Does 12 still exist? As I feel a it doesn't really exist yeah. anymore. Maybe it does. This was the great era of 12s.
1: <laughs> 12s that weren't really 12s. Um,
0: just briefly, we talked about a Tommy Lee Jones character who has this amazing speech of, you know, you got to search... We're going to search every outhouse, chicken house... Dog house. Shake <laughs> shack, dog house. Um, and um, he was sort of such a hit that they i only just discovered this today they gave him a, a whole spin-off film um with wesley snipes and robert downey jr wow. so i'm, I'm going to track that down and watch it was after. it well really bad mixed mixed reviews, what was it called as, um, uh i will tell you in the next <laughs> podcast <laughs> it's called something really straightforward like um marshall i think it uh, might just be called and was marshall. it literally
1: the same character yeah, yeah. I loved his clothes when well. I was such a sucker for that look on mid aged men in the 90s.
0: Jacket and jeans. They
1: had stonewashed jeans and then they had like quite a boxy, like woolen navy coat.
0: I think um, <laughs> we should probably stop this podcast. And I mean, we can just carry on talking about The Fugitive uh, in our own time. Or maybe we should go and do some work. I don't know. But yes, happy um, 25th anniversary to The Fugitive. Thank you for downloading this episode of The Back Half. We've been edited by Caroline Crampton and we'll be back in two weeks. Please do review us on iTunes, um, get in touch on Twitter and all the rest. And we will be playing you out with...
1: A nice tune that we enjoy called Godspeed. <laughs> you thought it was going to be a new one. I thought, you
0: have, <laughs> I thought you might have forgotten it after four weeks ago.
1: No, I just decided not to do my my anatomical reference anymore um, a nice tune called godspeed by pistol jazz
0: temple university is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the u.s through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty temple students are prepared to soar in their careers schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit